everyone, and welcome back to another fun-filled episode of Natural Science Daily. Uh, Before we get started, I do kind of want to give the disclaimer of this episode was my first episode interviewing someone over Skype, so the audio may seem a little bit wonkier than usual, but I'm still kind of working out the kinks, but I wanted to get the content out to you guys now, so we'll only get better at that as time goes on. So spring is started. It's pretty much full-fledged here in Maine, and it was 45 to 50 degrees out. I was boiling sap all day, which you know if you've been checking out the Instagram. For this week's Nature Fun Fact, I wanted it to be kind of spring-based, and when it comes to spring, I automatically think bird migration because tis the season for birds to be returning. I mean, Not all birds obviously leave during the winter, but a large majority, I think it's like 40% of birds in the world migrate someplace during the winter. So that brings me to one of my favorite bird species, the Arctic Tern, which we have in Maine off our coasts. And these birds have the longest migration of any bird in the world. They are not that big smaller than a pigeon, but they fly from the Arctic to the Antarctic every year, and they have about a 30-year lifespan. Their migration averages about 49,700 miles a year um, round trip, and over the 30 years of their lifespan, that totals up to just about three trips to the moon and back. I can't, I can't even imagine. Imagine being a bird and flying that much and a lot of it's over the ocean. So they're not like stopping and taking a lot of breaks. I mean, I guess they can float in the water a little bit, but it just, it blows my mind. Birds are awesome. And if you don't like birds, well, you need to check out birds more because they're pretty awesome. So I hope you enjoyed that nature fun fact of the week. Um, We have a great episode lined up for you. My guest is someone that I look up to and go to quite frequently for advice and just input on wildlife, science, life things. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. So let's get right into it. Welcome to another week of Natural Science Daily. Uh, I am sitting down with Kyle Lima. Kylema is my absolute favorite bird species, as I decided <laughs> during our midterm class we met during college. Um, he has been all over the world, almost, uh, to another country doing research. He's also a published researcher, as of very recently. Um, so, Kyle, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Kobe. I'm glad to be here. So, you went to UMaine with me. We started school together. Did you always know you wanted to go into wildlife? I think I knew that I wanted to go into this field since like early high school days. Um, yeah, we, uh, my family went down to Florida for a little vacation, and it turned into me finding my passion for nature and, and specifically birds on that trip, um, which has grown into a passion for all living things. Um, so ever since then, I knew I wanted to do something with wildlife and the options that were presented at UMaine uh, were a perfect route for me. While at UMaine, you also went into the Honors College, which, can you explain kind of what that is for people who don't know what UMaine is? 
Um, so at UMaine, they offer a honors college, so they call it, which essentially is just an exploration of civilizations past and present, um, kind of going through, you do a lot of reading of uh, kind of famous texts of the past, uh, and a lot of discussion and exploration of those ideas and how they have affected and created this society that we live in today. But through that, it offers you an opportunity to do a honors thesis. And in that case, it's very tailored towards the major that you have or that you're pursuing. So in my case, I was able to focus it heavily on research and science. Um, and I was presented an opportunity to research or to use a statewide database from uh, the main OWL monitoring program. And I was able to analyze this big data set that no one had touched for a while and actually get some important information out of it. And that's what I was able to publish in the Condor as of very recently. Are you glad you went into the Honors College? Like aside from the research project, do you think it kind of helped you broaden your thoughts as a researcher? I think so because being able to be open to other people's perspectives is a very important part of the Honors College here. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, communicating and writing and just being able to listen were all really important skills that you needed to have in order to make it through this kind of program. And so, you know, by doing that, it really taught me a lot. And I was able to take that and then transfer it into a wildlife conservation themed aspect, I guess you could say. So I think it did benefit me a lot and it's made me a lot better communicator and a lot better writer and it also enabled me, you know, that opportunity to do my own research, which is really awesome. Right. One of the things that uh, I feel like you and I bonded with during college was that we were both pretty driven when it came to getting field jobs in between our summers and that kind of thing. Can you kind of talk about some of the field work you've done? And uh, side note, Kyle's gone to Africa, and we can go more into depth on that um, in a little bit, but just, like, talk about some of the work you've done otherwise. Um. So excluding the Africa research, um, I've had three other field jobs. And so I started off, my first opportunity was given to me through a grad student at UMaine, uh, Joel Tevenkamp. And I was able to go up into the North Maine woods uh, near Baxter State Park in Maine and do, do uh, help on some research regarding spruce grass. Um, so we tracked them, we put radio collars on them, and we kept tabs on their nests and how many of their offspring survive over time. And we were trying to see how different forest management practices and those that are in uh, current action today, how they affect the species. Um, so that was my first one, and that really taught me a whole lot. You know, we lived in a remote area. We lived in a trailer. We did seven to 14-day stints, um, depending on the week or weeks. Um, and so, yeah. I just learned a lot about remote navigation. I learned a lot about what the field life work is, <laughs> what field work life is. Um, and it was a great thing that just really realized, it, it made me realize that I like doing this a lot. Like, this is what I meant to do for a while. Right. <laughs> Those field jobs, like, I just, I remember my first field job, and it's like, it's kind of a make it or break it. Like, this is supposedly what you want to do. Um, so it's kind of scary, because, like, what happens if you absolutely decide you completely hate it? Um, and like maybe that grouse work wasn't what you want to do forever, but even just like the general being able to do research was kind of, it must have been rewarding to be like, I can do this if I need to. Yeah, exactly. And when you 
feel like you know in the moment your everyday life you're kind of like missing that aspect of actually you know making an important uh, change in the world but when you step back from it um you're definitely like definitely there are definitely periods during that summer where i was like wow this sucks you know but that's just good. right and you, when you get out, out of it and you look back on it it's almost always you're just like wow i'm so glad i did that that was so cool mm-hmm. and oftentimes when you see that when you the work that you did finally gets put into use some way. It's just really rewarding. So that's uh, that's how I knew I definitely wanted to stay with what I was doing, and I loved what, I, what all things field work. So the next summer, I was able to get a job working with Scudic Institute, which is part of the Katy National Park, and I did a whole bunch of awesome, like super variable work there that was all regarding just biodiversity documentation, basically. So, you know, I worked on phenology projects. I went out on uh, whale watches and did surveys for marine mammals and fishes and birds. Uh, I did a whole bunch of plant and insect documentation. And so at Scudic, uh, the main focus of the job was to look at how breeding birds, so their migration especially, was related to the phenology of varying plants and how the timing of those two line up. And they, they suspect that documentation it over time might show how climate change is affecting this, which we already have seen evidence of in multiple places. Uh, and then I also researched or helped on a research project uh, relating to Bicknell's thrush, which was off in the uh, western part of the state of Maine, high up in the mountains. Uh, Bicknell's thrush is a species that only breeds at the top of mountains, basically, high elevation. And we wanted to capture these birds, put band, band them, put collar, uh, radio trackers on them and trying to get habitat use points uh, to track where they are, at what times of year, what habitat they're using, and, and to see if we can manage forests in a way that would create habitat for these species at certain stages of the forest development. Nice. How many years has she been working on that project, that grad student? Uh, that one was, it's only been, this was the second year. Okay, nice. And for those of you who have listened to the other episodes of the podcast, if you're wondering about what he meant by like forest management practices, you can always go back to the logging episode because we did talk about what it's like to be a logger. So Africa, one of the biggest things that I like to talk about with Kyle because I it just blows me away is he went to Africa for a summer and not only just did field work but also did uh, work on research project while you were there. So whole new country, pretty new, like all new species. Like, you know birds, but like all these animals are completely new. Brand new people that you've never met before. And then they're like, oh, by the way, please do a research project while you're at it. So can you kind of talk about that program? Because uh, I know it was like a, you went with, there's a bunch of people from Florida, but I don't remember what the actual program program was. Right. So program is called IRES, which is uh, International Research Experience for Students. And so this was a uh, NSF-funded opportunity for a bunch of United States scientists, young college-age scientists, um, to go and experience international science, basically, so international ecology. The point of the project is to create and train scientists to be able to work internationally because all of the major problems that we face today, climate change and all the landscape or land use change, things like that, it's all an international project. Right. Um, or, or 
an international uh, problem. Problem. <laughs> an international problem. And so being able to work with other people in different cultures and different parts of the world is crucial to being able to uh, you know help our help these problems. So that's that kind of is the basis of what the program was meant for. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was there was five United States uh, college-age students, including myself, that got this opportunity to go over to uh, South Africa and Swaziland, which is now known as Eswatini. Okay. Um, and there we were able to first partake in a basically what was a study abroad course. And there, you know, we helped in different field work projects relating to small mammals, uh, to insect pollination, to birds, to uh, plants, you know, as all kinds of stuff. And, you know, and we got to go to Kruger National Park and we got to go out in the field and work on actual research, ongoing research projects right there. Um, and then we also worked in Swaziland um, doing a whole bunch of different stuff there as well. And after the study abroad course, we were then left to do, the five of us were, and some Swazi students got to come together and we created their own research projects and carried them out in the field. So it was basically all up to us. You know, we had to figure out how to do these things and how to you know, run our projects. And it was just like what I equate to like a mini masters or something. It's you know, wild. Like lots of background research before we went. We had everything planned out. So then when it was time to start, you know, we just went straight into it. And so my project was related to scavenger species, and we wanted to see how the land use change affected scavenging. So, you know, the amount of people living in one area, the development of that spot versus the sugarcane plantations, which is a huge part of Swaziland, and uh, also the what's left of the natural savanna, which is all, all, you know, gated in and fenced and these animals are basically just trapped in these little patches of savanna that are left over, which are then surrounded by human development and sugarcane. So it's a very diverse and fastly changing uh, ecosystem. And so we wanted to look at how scavenging affected, it was affected by these aspects. And so I put out, you know, rotting chicken and put on uh, remote cameras so that, and, you know, game cameras so they could capture whatever came because not many things come out during the day uh, for scavenging. They're mostly nocturnal. And so it was uh, a lot of fun. We It was a lot of stress, too. And it was like six weeks of pretty hard work every day in the field, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was also every one of us had our own projects. I think there were eight of us in total. And so we'd all help out on each other's projects, too, because we can't do it alone. Right. And so it was just like this really big team building and cultural exercise uh, and it was really a bonding experience and a major learning experience in terms of doing your own research and so after all that a bunch of us uh, we all tried to write up our own papers and we've been working with the professors that helped us from the University of Florida uh, which was the other part of the program was based out of University of Florida and the University of Eswatini Mm -hmm. so we were working on this cultural uh, science project. And so we all wrote up our own papers. We gave a presentation at a conference there in Swaziland. And, you know, people from all different game reserves in South Africa and Eswatini itself were coming to this one conference that we got to present our findings at. Wow. Really awesome. <laughs> uh, so 
that on top of our hopefully I'm still trying to write that paper up still we're still working on it but hopefully that will I'll come into the, the research the literature soon right so you did this before you did your honors thesis project for UMaine do you think having done your own research project in Africa kind of helped you plan for your owl work for your honors thesis it definitely did um I didn't have to do any of the field work in that in the, my thesis case um, because that was all you know done prior to in earlier years. Um, but where it came in really nice was getting more experience with a little bit of data analysis and some brief writing for you know scientific literature mm-hmm. experience there. So those aspects and being able to manage you know a group of people because you are in charge of your project and you're also trying to be in charge of almost these professors too because they all have their own lives and their own schedules and their own classes to right. teach you know like you are the, you're the one who's most in charge of your paper so trying to get all of them together and do it in a polite and non <laughs> uh, non mean way um, is also quite a challenge sometimes so that kind of experience made it a lot easier for me to do my honors thesis because it was all basically just data analysis, working with other professionals in the field, and then moving forward through the writing and then, you know, the um, creation of graphs and figures and, you know, compiling a very nice paper going through many edit stages and then finally sending it off to journals and things like that. So it's been a, it's been a good time, and I think that experience from Swaziland really helped do it. That's awesome. For undergraduate students that kind of want to get into their own research or conduct their own research, do you have any recommendations or tips for them to get into it? Yeah, so even if you're not or your college doesn't offer an honors program um, or if you're not in it, it doesn't really matter. Like If you're driven and you're interested in doing your own research, then you just need to bring it up to a professor or your dean of your college or whatever you know, like just bring it up and because most of these wildlife programs are going to be pretty lenient in that kind of sense. They're going to want to inf- uh, to kind of enforce that or to encourage um, students going out and above and beyond and conducting their own research or whatever, you know. So you really just need the drive. And if you have that drive, then you're going to be able to make it happen. Right. So I would say just if you have the drive and you really feel passionate about it, you just go talk to a professor that you know you can trust and that you're who will also encourage you to do it um, and together you can you will work together and you'll be able to make it happen so that's awesome so for people that haven't ever seen the savannah i'm just thinking about when you're in africa you mentioned how it was a lot of like fenced off areas that kind of make like a patchwork could that be similar to like out west like in like the western region of america like the united states could that be kind of like rangeland where there's a lot of cattle ranging and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think there's a lot of similarities in many, many parts of the world. Uh, you see like that landscape fragmentation uh, um, all over, you know, like wherever humans have built or developed homesteads or whatever it is, you know, cities, it all creates a fragmentation of the landscape and kind of can at the scale that you look at it, you know, up above in like a Google Maps scale, it creates like a, you can see this patchwork of different landscapes that appear. And, you know, some areas it's far lower, far less. Uh, But in other more urban areas, especially, you're going to see that kind of stuff. 
Um, and then also, like you said, in the West with, with rangelands, where you have these patches of somewhat natural habitat, but they're being grazed at this phenomenal rate. Or you have you know, uh, cattle yards that are just packed with cattle, and there's basically no habitat for anything besides you know, starlings and right. whatnot, cowbirds. Um, but, so I think that this whole fragmentation idea is global. It's a global issue. And it's something that we think could really be an important aspect of conservation. Mm-hmm. Right now, you've been taking kind of a break from wildlife and learning new and they're still just as valuable skills um, doing carpentry work. And do you think taking a break from, like, you graduated, did some work, and then you're kind of taking a break, do you think that's kind of helped you refocus what you want to do? Yeah, so I think sometimes when you are just in one thing like you're focused on one thing constantly and that's all you can think about like I basically that was my whole college career you know like I was just dead set and that's not a bad thing at all Mm -hmm. but I think um you can sometimes lose sight of exactly what you want yeah um because it makes other parts of life hard when you're just when all you care about is you know trying to pursue one exact lifestyle and I think it's important to always stay open-minded um and I think that's what this opportunity has allowed me to do. Mm-hmm. So after I graduated, I got a, that Big Nose Thrush position. I worked with them. And then that position ended in August. And then around uh, late September, I started doing some carpentry work. And I've been doing that all winter. And that, one, has not only allowed me more monetary benefit, which a lot of, you know, like working in wildlife, you're not going to become rich. No. Everybody does that. And so, you know, after uh, finishing my degree and having to start paying loans, I realized, you know, there's, so you can't just be taking positions that are, you know, unpaid internships or things like that. Now you have more responsibilities in your life all of a sudden. They're like, boom, mm-hmm. you right now. So I wanted to find a way to try to get as many of the loans paid off as I could while also, you know, learning some really important skills that I'm sure I'll be able to use in the wildlife world, but also just in my everyday life at some point. Mm-hmm. So this was a great opportunity to do that in those senses, but also in the sense that it's allowed me to take a step back and realize like, I know for sure wildlife is what I want to continue pursuing in my career. Mm-hmm. I don't want to become a carpenter or things like that. So it's, it's just been a nice nice break it's been a good opportunity and i think i'm just really excited now to get back to some more environmental work you know? right kind of like brings back your drive we've kind of talked about habitat fragmentation do you think that could be something you want to work with in the future or do you want to move on to new topics yes uh, it definitely is something that i am interested in because you know many master's programs and even PhD programs, they're very specific. Mm-hmm. And in a time of crisis that I believe we are in and continuing towards, um, I don't think that we should be focused on these just tiny aspects of, you know, like black cat vireo phenology or, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just, to me, I think we need to be looking at broader scale global issues and we need to kind of shy away from these really specific things at this moment. Like, sure, it provides a lot of useful information for very specific conservation, but I think we're, we're working at a scale 
of decline and habitat disruption that we don't have the opportunity to do that anymore. Right. I think we need to be working at a, at a faster scale, at a broader scale, and working to and conserve more at a broader level. Because those finer points of research, like what I want to do with the petrels, like kind of understand their breeding behavior and their population levels, it's important, but how much is that really going to benefit us if we're not preserving the whole ecosystem? Because, yeah, we can find out how many breeding pairs of storm petrels there are in Maine, but that's not really going to matter if there's no storm petrels left. Exactly, yeah. And while all those little aspects do add up, and that's the whole point of publishing literature, you know, is to to gain all this information and put it in one place so then you can do a review or something like that. And that ties all these different, all these loose ends together, right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole purpose of these little things. And that's kind of the idea. But um, at the same, at the same point, like we need to be, we need to be working at a broader level. And that's where I think like the, the landscape fragmentation idea could be more, could be really something that I'm interested in pursuing because I want to be able to work at a, more global scale and be managing or conserving at a at a different level. Mm-hmm. For me, I don't feel I don't feel satisfied studying something very small and specific. I just don't feel like it's making the impact that I feel like we need. Mm-hmm. So I feel guilty in some way. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. So, yeah. So I think for me, I want to be able to pursue something that's much broader and more just more impactful. Right. That's awesome. Like quickly impactful, something that will just change and hopefully for the better at like a faster rate because I think that's what we need. Like speed is is crucial now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, I mean, I just I feel like we're running out of time to make the big impacts that will reverse this issue we're having. No matter how you feel about climate change, it there's no doubt that something's happening. It yeah. it frustrates me that not everyone fully believes that something's going on but everyone sees a change day to day and you you hear it when people talk and they're like oh yeah it's been it's been a pretty wild winter um but once you and that happens but when you're saying that six years in a row you gotta think and it's kind of concerning everyone use the specifics as you know like like today it was so cold there's no way it's global warming you know Mm -hmm. but the point is like it's the extremes. It's climate change. It's not just it's fluctuations from the norm. Right. So, you know, mm-hmm. and when you look at the averages over the years, and you see it's just been like since nineteen whatever forties, you know, like every year is just becoming warmer and warmer. Basically, like mm-hmm. there's so much proof, so much evidence, and something is changing. So, I'm glad that you were able to go to Africa and work with people from a different country and kind of make it a more international scale because these issues for our future, for our environment, it's not just a North American problem or a South American problem or an African problem. Like it's all connected completely. And you may not see it right off, but when you follow the dots long enough, you realize you're like, holy cow, it's all connected. And I don't know. I, I think it's important for people to realize and another another part of the Africa research was that, you know, for the global aspect of it, we were looking at exactly that, like 
pro- problems in the world, problems in the, on the entire globe that we had all faced. So it wasn't just like we're looking specifically at something so minute that it's only specific to you know that one part in Swaziland. Right. It, it was we were only focused on issues that are global, mm-hmm. and then you have that other aspect of global, which is that communication and research and working with other people in different cultures, mm-hmm. and all of the things that we looked at were also ecosystem services, which is essentially what services do the ecosystem provide that benefit humans. Mm-hmm. So I think those things are, are some of the biggest things that we need to be focused on is working to find, because people like people only seem to care about what things will benefit them in many cases. Yeah. Right? So if we as scientists can say, look, like here is this service, this action that the plants provide, like producing O2 for us to be able to breathe. Simple as that, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many examples of that. And if we just convey it as that, you know, like we're saying like this is going to benefit us, mm-hmm. this is benefiting the human species, then I think that's just an easier way to try to convince all people that this kind of research and this kind of conservation is important. Right. Because so many people feel like they don't need any aspects of nature. They don't need these parts that they don't. They just don't think about them. They don't know. They don't understand how how it's all connected to us. Mm-hmm. We can, if we as scientists are able to uh, convey it in that kind of a way, then I think that's of extreme benefit for us mm-hmm. and for the whole whole world. Right, and that's why I feel like every scientist I've really met they're so excited and they're so nice to talk to there's always going to be a bad apple on every bunch but for the most part people want to share what they're doing they want to talk about how it's interconnected and related and that's what i feel like is fun about this field yeah like last night even just with the podcast and the instagram a researcher from mexico messaged me and we're just kind of like going back and forth and like she creates uh video content on youtube about researchers stories and there are different things in different places, but their goal is similar. And I just, I like that about our community. Yeah, it should give her a shout out. Yeah. Uh, what was the account? That was Bio Lovers Del Mundo. I'm sorry if I mispronounced that on Instagram. But yeah, it's just that kind of thing. I think you will see more of, hopefully. I feel like this generation is kind of realizing that we do need to come together and solve these problems as a unit so that's pretty fun part of this podcast as you know uh is to bring natural science into daily conversation do you feel like there's a part of natural sciences that we're kind of failing in or that we need to work on yes i think there's two big ones and i think one of those is just like Kind of how uh, Greg mentioned on your last podcast, that mm-hmm. communicate yep. uh, to like the general public or even to each other. Um, I think that we get caught up in our uh, scientific literature and our very specific writing and our highly uh, technical uh, word choice, things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that we need to work on just trying, trying to bring it down a little, stop using, you know, weird, weird phrase sentences and special words like, we need to be able to bring it back to English, you know, mm-hmm. and make it translatable to everybody. 
Yeah. So that's one of the places that we fail in. Uh, and luckily, like, we've realized that as a scientific community, mm-hmm. uh, especially uh, in the last, like, 10 years, mainly. We really, there's been all kinds of really awesome, uh, you know, moves, movement forward in that mm-hmm. sense. And, you know, making videos, making, you know, blogs and things like that. Right. And these aspects make it so much easier for everybody to digest, um, which is really awesome. And then, as I kind of mentioned already, I also feel like that, you know, our focus is sometimes lost. We, I think we're, we're focusing with a with a magnifying glass and we need to be looking at the whole situation with our naked eyes. Mm-hmm. So I think we, if we step back and try to reanalyze the important things, the things that we need to most uh, focus our, our efforts on, mm-hmm. I think that's a place that we need to, to need to benefit in, or need to improve in. Definitely. So I want to play a little bit of a game with you to uh, kind of wrap up this interview. So it's Would You Rather, but it's the science edition. So um, one thing, I, one of them I was talking about, um, I think on Instagram was, would you rather work on a remote island or in the middle of the woods in the middle of nowhere for a field work? Remote island or middle of woods? Mm-hmm. I think wow, that's tough. <laughs> I'm gonna choose. Okay, well, I'll go. I'll go with the island for now. Okay. <laughs> I'll say island um, because I haven't spent a full field season on an island yet. Mm-hmm. So something that new. would be something I'd be down to try. Nice. Would you rather deal with a summer being attacked by black flies or have to lug around rotten chicken all the time? <laughs> Uh, I think man, these are tough ones, huh? <laughs> I'm gonna take the uh, I'm gonna take the rotting chicken again. <laughs> nice. I've done both of those already. I'll try. I'll take the rotting chicken again. <laughs> I don't know. Black black flies aren't that bad, and you know you can wear a head net, mm-hmm. be dressed appropriately. But uh, I think wherever you're gonna be putting out rotting chicken neck is is probably a pretty cool place. So that's what I'm going on. True. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so my last one would you rather educate the public or educate future wildlifers Ooh, I guess I would rather come up with good ones I'm also just really indecisive yeah. yeah they both have their pros they do I guess I'll go Personally, I would I would like to say I'd rather and educate general public. Mm-hmm. However, I don't like I am great at that, so I think I do better with a with a with a specific kind. Mm-hmm. So I would choose future, educating future wildlifers. Yeah, they may yeah. they may be easier to get the harder yeah. concepts across to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we. <laughs> Tang wildlife students was fun. That was something that Kyle and I did for multiple years four (laughs) four or five different classes um and some of those students just cracked me up those are all the oh one last question um do you have a favorite field meal that you make in the field favorite field meal uh that's uh pizza pizza over over the fire oh i like it yeah i make it make homemade dough right Mm -hmm. there you know and then just 
ounce of olive oil instead of the stick. And then you can just put your toppings on, just heat it from below. It's already mm-hmm. can't like yeah, a nice crunchy top, but yeah, it's so nice. I I figured if you've worked in the field, everyone's had that one meal that they're like, oh, doesn't feel so like rural and like <laughs> primitive. So thank you, Kyle, for being on this episode of Natural Science Daily. I hope everyone enjoys and that they continue to make natural science part of their daily conversations. Me too.